If you've been going around the good old internet looking for the right podcast to fulfill your New York Yankees needs, well, I'll be the first to deliver the good news to you. You have found it. Here on Yapping Yankees with me, your host, Mike Scudero, you and I will be discussing the latest news, takes, and talk throughout the entire Yankee universe. Oh, and there may be some ranting on my behalf. Yeah. Anyway, what do you say we get to it? Let's get to yapping! Good afternoon to my fellow Yankee fans, and welcome to episode 34 of the Yapping Yankees podcast, where we yap about the Yanks and nothing but the Yanks. As always, I am your host, Mike Scudero, here on this Sunday, February 16th, 2020. Let's get things started by, as always, giving our shout out to the Team Left Jab United Radio Network. They feature Team Left Jab Boxing Radio, Team Left Jab Uncensored, and of course, the Team Left Jab United Radio Network. Go follow Team Left Jab on all social media platforms and check out their great sports content across anywhere that you find podcasts. Apple, Spotify, Blog Talk Radio, you name it, the list goes on everywhere. Be sure to check out Team left jab, guys. Yankees pitchers and catchers are in Tampa. Things are heating up. First spring training game is this Saturday, the 22nd. So close. Opening day against the O's, 39 days away. You got to hold me down. I can't contain the excitement anymore. (laughs) I just can't. It just, when it gets this close and the first spring training game is within days, I just can't contain myself anymore. You got to hold me down. Otherwise, I'm just going to run a lap. So let's move on right away to our poll segment. We got a lot to get through today. A lot of topics on the table from the poll, and then we're going to get to some Major League Baseball news because a lot happened this week from proposed playoff format changes that would start in 2022 by Rob Manfred, which I'll go in a bit about. And we're going to be playing a lot of clips today on the show, all of which are really, really good clips. And one of them having to do with the new playoff format proposal for 2022 is a clip from Trevor Bauer talking about his dislike of this proposal, which I agree with the take, and I think it's I think there's a lot of truth in what he says, and I really just want to play it for you guys in case you didn't get to listen to it. So we'll be playing that clip. Then we're going to be talking about all of the Astros and their hollow apologies, and we're going to be playing a Carlos Correa clip of him just going on and on way too much. He should really talk less at this point. We're going to get into it all later. Don't worry about it. We're going to get into Jim Crane talking about how he doesn't think that the cheating impacted the game and how talented he is to have been able to say that with a straight face. We're going to be playing a clip from the Yankees acting like doofuses already down in Tampa, warming up the pitchers and catchers. It's so great. So we got a lot on the table today. The new playoff format talk. We got Jim Crane, Carlos Correa, and all the Astros talking. Hopefully after this, we're going to officially put it to bed. Hopefully. I'm praying. And then we got some Yankees talking, prepping for spring training and for the first game coming, which as we all know, is this Saturday against the Blue Jays. And I know a lot of my fellow Yankees Twitter peeps are going to be going down to Florida to experience the games themselves. I hope you guys have the most fun. I really do because... I've never been to a spring training game personally, and I've never even been to George M. Steinbrenner Field. I would really love to go to George M. Steinbrenner Field, and I will, of course, announce it on social media if I happen to make it down there this year by some miracle. I happen to be really busy up here, working five days a week at my radio job, doing this on Sunday, so I have quite a bit going on on my regular day-to-day, but... If I happen to make it down there by some miracle, I'll be sure to let you guys know. And maybe I could meet some of you that I haven't already met. 
So we'll see what happens with that. But that's what's on the table for today. But before we get to any of that, I want to make another special announcement regarding this podcast. Now, those who are watching this there right now obviously already know, but I want to address it before we get this going. I've addressed this on Twitter as well, which everybody knows I'm already crazy active on. Go follow me there if you haven't already at Mike Scudero, M-I-K-E-S-C-U-D-I-E-R-O. But this episode of Yapping Yankees, episode 34, will kick things off tonight on YouTube for Yapping Yankees YouTube debut. This is the next step in the expansion of the Yapping Yankees empire that I've worked hard on all by myself up to this point from last May or June. And the show's already available on SoundCloud, iTunes, and Spotify, and now it's available here on YouTube. I'll have my brother Thomas helping me out with YouTube. Shout out to you for being an awesome brother, Thomas, and helping me out. It'll be cool to finally have some help with the show. But I'm so excited for getting this show expanded even further to attempt at even more exposure, listenership, and interaction with Yapping Yankees in the YouTube world. I'll give those of you listening on YouTube a little rundown of what usually happens here on the show. I'll usually start it off by giving the great team Left Jab a shout out, which I do twice an episode as a thank you to them for spreading the word about New Yapping Yankees episode every single week. Then I'll go into our weekly poll segment, which I usually do on my Twitter and Instagram accounts. I may start it here on YouTube as well. We'll see. Again, follow me on Twitter at Mike Scudero and Instagram at MikeScuds97. And this poll segment is where I'll give a question to you having to do with the Yankees every week. You guys can vote, and if you reply or message me with a reason for your vote, I'll give you a shout-out on the episode and read your replies. Lots of people usually love the poll segments, and some weeks I may just ask a regular question, but most of the time it's a poll. Then during the regular season, which of course hasn't happened for a few months now because it's been the off-season, I have a segment called Weekly Recap, where I talk about what happened in the games throughout the week, and then I'll talk about any Yankees news that happens, and maybe even some MLB news if it has to do with the Yankees or if it's a massive story. That's more or less the deal. So, welcome to the world of Yapping Yankees if you're listening on YouTube. I'm so glad to have expanded to here and have you with me, and I hope you stick around for the ride. And I realize it's sort of a moving train already. It's episode 34 today, and I'm just getting started started on YouTube. So if you guys want to listen to any prior episodes of Yapping Yankees, they're all available on SoundCloud, iTunes, and Spotify. So just go to any of those three platforms and type Yapping Yankees into the search bar. And if you view all the episodes, episodes one through 33 should all be there. So thanks for giving Yapping Yankees a shot and I hope you enjoy the rest of the episode, guys. But with that being said, let's get into this week's poll segment. Just came up with a good question having to do with Miguel and Duhar because I know there are a lot of questions, even that the media asked Aaron Boone lately, about Miguel and Duhar. What sort of a role is he going to have on the team this year? Because let's be honest, he could have a variety of different roles because he could be at third base again, partially because we all know that Gio's there and we want Gio primarily being there, especially if he repeats anything close to what happened with him in 2019. Then there was the possibility of him picking up a first base mitt, possibly trying out in left field and alternating with Stanton and with the DH position with Stanton. So a lot of things could happen with Andujar. Even the slight possibility of him maybe even starting in AAA just at the start to get going again. And of course, I think a lot of this is going to have to do with spring training. But regardless, I did think that it was just a good thing going into spring training. Just a good question to toss out there out of curiosity how you guys are feeling about Miguel Andujar and where you think he should play to start the 2020 season after spring training's over, just to gouge your thoughts a little bit. So 
We'll go into this week's poll. We'll start on Twitter as always. And this week's poll question was, where should Miguel Andujar play this season? Now, this question was regarding position. And I do understand, and I did understand this when I put the poll question up, and I even left in the replies to the poll, that I know in asking this question, Boone and the Yankees have already announced that they're probably going to be moving around a little bit wherever they need. If someone needs a day of rest, or depending on health, or depending on which position he's showing the most promise in, I, I get all of that that Boone is probably going to be moving him around. And Boone in general usually just likes to move players around and try out new things throughout the year, this and that. So I I get it. I do. But I just thought I'd gouge your thoughts and see if there was a position primarily that you feel that he would be the best in and where you think he should play, just vote on it and leave a reply. So again, the question for this week is where should Miguel Andujar play this season? And the choices were left field, first base, third base, or designated hitter. And the choice of designated hitter won the poll. We got a good voting size for this week, so I would say the results are pretty good. Got well over 400 people on this poll. We got 59% of people saying that he should be a designated hitter, and that was the choice that won. 16% of you said third base, go back to his regular position that he had in 2018 before Urshela came along. 13% of you said first base, and 12% of you said left field. So, of course, the vast majority of you, it would seem here, think that he should be a designated hitter in 2020, depending on how things go, of course. But that's what many of you said, so let's get to the replies. First up, we have at MD Nelly. He says he's too young to shove into the designated hitter spot. He can learn first base, and it gives him flexibility. Well, yeah, and speaking of flexibility and versatility, I think that might be a thing with Andujar this year. And if they anticipate on using him in multiple different positions, of course, he's going to have to be versatile. There's no doubt about that. Then we have at Tegan Graham 23, and Tegan says, sure, maybe his fielding got better, but it probably still pales in comparison to Geo's. We need Miggy's bat, and the DH spot is great for that. Rotate Stanton, Miggy, and Voight with the DH, and rotate Miggy in at first base too to get Voight a day off here and there. And again, I think that is a lot of what we're going to see this year because Boone has already expressed interest with moving some players around depending on health and days of rest, who he wants to put at DH someday. It could just vary on the day. So I think we're going to see a lot of that. So I agree. Maybe we will see a lot of that switching. At Laker 477 says, I see Andujar splitting time at DH with Stanton as well as a fill-in at third. I don't think his fielding is strong enough to play him in the outfield. Yeah, and I, th- I think we can get a stronger look at that if they choose to play him in the outfield a lot in spring training, if they choose to test him a lot out there. Then we have at Evan D. Wetzel 4 says, We need him to be versatile. Third when Geo rests, and Geo will need rest. DH when Stanton and others need rest. I expect to see Voight at DH so Andujar can play third base when Voight needs rest. And left field as well for Gardner or matchup reasons. This isn't a bad thing. I think you may have meant when Voight rests, he could play a little bit of first. I agree. It isn't a bad thing to have to be versatile. I think it actually shows more range as a player and it gives you more value that you can play just wherever the team needs you to play. At run read repeat 12 says he could get reps at first and third. I believe his first season should not define him as a defender until we give him a chance. Designated hitter. He was the league's most dangerous hitter in 2018. In 2018, he had 573 ABs with a 297 average. Like to see some lefties hitting around him. And yeah, speaking of that rookie season, there are just so many people out there that just discount that rookie season for Andujar. And if you thought that Otani should have won simply because he pitches and hits, that's your choice and whatever. It's your opinion. I personally think Andujar should have won Rookie of the Year, considering he had an entire season under his belt that year. And plus, if you look at his numbers, I mean, I know a lot of people don't like to only look at these numbers, you know, average home runs, RBIs, but it's a lot to look at. And at the age of 23 that year, 
to get a 297 average, 27 home runs, 92 RBIs, be an absolute extra base hitting machine, and at such a young age, and yeah, if you want to compare defense, yeah, there's an edge with anybody other than Andujar when it comes to defense. So I'm not going to argue that as far as the Rookie of the Year award, but as far as people being very hard on him on defense, listen, I'm not arguing that he's bad at defense. He's pretty bad, and he needs work. But I agree with at Run Read Repeat 12 when I say that I'm not willing to give up on him yet because he's so young. He's only just about to turn 25. So there's still plenty of time and potential for growth and improvement when it comes to defense, and I'm just not quick to give up on a young player like that. I think it's going to take me a little bit more time before I just throw my hands up in the air and say, you know what, Andujar can't defend, he stinks. But it's not quite there yet, because he's only had one full year under his belt, because he missed basically the entire year last season with the exception of, what, a week or two? So I completely agree with you, man. I do. He had an incredible rookie year that I think a lot of people like to discount, mainly because his defense is so bad. And I just don't think it's fair. I really don't. And a lot of people just saying he sucks, I don't agree with that. I think he proved exactly the fact that he doesn't suck in 2018 with the season that he put up at the age of 23 and had himself a great season for a rookie. A great season. The guy hit 47 freaking doubles. I mean, (laughs) come on. I mean, I know it's just doubles, but it's still impressive. You see there's a big contact factor there, which the Yankees could afford to have more contact bats in the lineup as we saw with LeMahieu in 2019. We saw how important it is to have those contact bats in the lineup, but an extra base hitting machine, it's a great thing to have. Driving a lot of runs, which he did in his rookie year, almost drove in 100 runs. Call me old school, whatever you want, but it's the truth. Then we had at peace now for life says, I think we should mostly see him at DH. I don't think he has as much value in the field. I see Gio at third and a combo of Luke and Ford at first, hoping Duhar can provide some pop as DH with Stanton. I agree. And, and again, it goes back to switching things around a lot. At Black Rebirth 52 says, I think he's valuable splitting time with Stanton as a DH. The man hits. His fielding isn't good, but his bat in the lineup when healthy is very dangerous. It is dangerous. At BobbyTat631 says, I have to go with third base, although I'd like to see him play at first as well. His ability to hit through the gaps was what we were missing last October. Back to the infield, his flexibility would give better options when rest is needed. Yeah, it definitely would, and his hitting to the gaps was great, part of all the doubles he hit. Almost 50 doubles as a rookie. Imagine that. We don't have to imagine it. It happened. At Laura underscore Icemont says, I think Andujar will be at DH. He's better offensively. If necessary, he can easily rotate between that and third base since it is his primary position. Fair enough. My good friend at Official Stacy says, DH, another DH voter. At Medic968 says, mostly DH, but I think his best position in the field would be first base in my opinion. He's got another DH voter who also wouldn't mind seeing him at first. At Idolo Tranquilo says, I think he should go where Boone feels he's best needed. Well, yeah, that's definitely the thing. And as I said earlier, when I put in the comments of the poll, I do understand that Boone's just going to put him primarily wherever he needs him for the most part. But where do you think he's going to be mostly? And where do you feel he should primarily be? Then we had my girlfriend at Vic Salimo says, I don't know about putting him in the field. I say keep him as a DH primarily. He's better at bat. There's no doubt he's better at bat. At Wookie Bomber says DH split with Stanton until he shows his arm is healthy and his defense is better. All right, but you also have to be a little tricky with that because if he's primarily DH, which I agree he probably should be primarily DH, but also put him out in the field a good amount because also if he's not on the field enough, then where's the chance to improve? So I, I, it's tricky. You got to find a healthy balance with it. At Bessie Best 77 says, I think DH will be best for him. I just want his bat in there. But that's primarily what you're looking for, for Duhar's offense to be present, because it is an important bat to have. 
at official 52011 underscore two says DH unless he learns to play third base without double clutching his throws. And yeah, that was something that a lot of people were getting on Duhar about for a while, his double clutching. And a lot of people don't really understand the double clutch. And I think as as someone who played baseball for a year, and, and I hear the same thing from other baseball players, the double clutching is to basically just ensure that you get a better grip on the ball. And it takes away some possibility of throwing it away, which as we know, and Duhar has a lot of throwing problems and throwing across the diamond from third base. So I would think that's why he's doing it. But at the same time, it does complicate things because it takes more time to field the ball and throw it. And it's just not really convenient. It doesn't look smooth and it just doesn't look natural. And it makes the player look a little uncomfortable about their throwing ability. So I understand people getting on about the double clutching. At Zalman888 says, third base, first base, left field, plus DH as needed. So basically just saying again, wherever he's needed. At WillT128 says, wherever we can fit him in and him not be a liability defensively. So probably a lot of DH, but I don't want him stuck there in DH. Needs to rotate, so how is he in left field? Well, we'll see. If he gets an outfield mitt thrown at him for spring training, we might get some looks. At NYSports000 says the bench. Yikes. (laughs) All right. Thinks he should be on the bench. Okay. At Power Pinstripe says the fact that DH has the majority is silly and ridiculous. You're talking about a 24-year-old skilled third base baseball player in the DH position and not growing at third base. If that's the case, you need to trade him because he deserves better. All right. At Kyle of Kingston says he will play a little of everywhere, but he will play pretty regularly, I think. His days as a starting third baseman are over. The first person to get injured probably dictates where he plays the most. Well, yeah, as I said earlier, probably will depend mainly on rest days as well or injuries and things like that. And even Boone himself has said that. At Jay Delmase says, I'm going to say third. I love Gio, but feel like last year may have been more of a magical season for him offensively rather than the new norm. Gio could bat 206 for April and then Duhar steps in. Of course, the same could happen at first. I think we need the primary DH for Stanton. Yeah, a lot of people don't trust Stanton in left field either. At 30, Charlie ZZZ says left field and DH. At Michael underscore charge says DH or traded for Arenado or Bryant or Lindor. Okay, so someone wants to use him in a trade, if not playing at DH. At Morris 26 Romero says DH. I'm hoping he fills Edwin Encarnacion's shoes from last year. Well, if it comes to filling Edwin Encarnacion's shoes from last year, you got to remember primarily Encarnacion actually played a lot of first base because Voigt was either out from injury or not playing at his best because the injury was bothering him, the sports hernia injury. So Encarnacion actually got a lot of playing time at first, so that wouldn't quite be where Encarnacion spent a lot of his time last year, so be careful. But I I, I get what you're trying to say. At the Watt 1734 says wherever he's needed. All right. At A. Cambo says, all of the above, wherever they need him. He will get plenty of at-bats, especially with DH open. Well, DH could possibly be open because we've heard the possibility of Stanton having some DHing days as well. So we'll see how open it is. And again, a lot of this, I feel, and I'll repeat this, I feel a lot of this has to do with what happens in spring training too. When they all perform in spring training, it'll be a big determining factor of some of the decision-making the Yankees might have once they see these guys compete in spring training, which is going to be a lot of fun. At LWOS underscore NY Yankees says, Chances are that Miguel Andujar will start the season in AAA. However, I can see him taking back third base at some point. Urshela had a good year last season, but until last season, he never hit better than 233 in three previous big league seasons. Was last season a fluke? 
And I don't know. We'll, we'll see come 2020. There's only one way to find that out, and time will tell. But that is something else that everybody's been talking about. Was Urshela's season legit? And if it wasn't legit, then what happens with Duhar? If it was legit, then what happens with him? So there's a lot of questions here still. And by legit, I mean, will it be done again or not? And time will tell a lot of this. Just really wondering what you guys were thinking before spring training even gets underway. At coach underscore gets says, don't disrupt the chemistry of this team. All right. Would Andujar add or take away from that chemistry? I guess it's a matter of opinion until the time comes where we could see if it does in fact affect anything. Then we had at CB Hayes 93 says, DH, keep Stanton in left field. All right. At 139 Raf says, DH and back up first base. Competition at first between Andujar, Voigt, and Ford. Three-way competition at first. All right. At JV Rodriguez 7 says, trade and Duhar if he can't field a position adequately. The DH spot should be reserved for older players and guys who need an occasional break from the field. All right, there are permanent DHs out there, but I do understand how people could be turned off to the thought of a young guy manning the DH spot on a regular basis. I, I understand that. At Magnum underscore Libris says, in Colorado. All right, so use him in a trade perhaps for Arenado. At Real underscore Rosenthal. Real Rosenthal? No, it can't be. <laughs> He says, I expect a massive decline from Urshela and think the Yankees will acquire another outfielder, forcing Stanton into the designated hitter role and putting in Duhar at third to finish the year. All right. Well, those are the replies for this week's Yapping Yankees poll. Again, there was a lot more discussion going on in some of the comments. And as I do say each and every week, just try to reply directly to the poll. And if your comment is a reply to someone else who replied to the poll, then it probably gets lost in the fray and I don't see it. And that therefore, I don't get to your name and can't really shout you out. So just try to reply to the poll itself. And, you know, if you don't get to it, then there's a poll or at least a question of some sorts every single week for Yapping Yankees. It's a pretty consistent thing. It happens every single episode. So just try again next week and we'll try to get to yours. But as for those who voted and replied on Twitter, as always, I thank you all so much for interacting. It always makes the podcast even more fun, and it's always a great thing to hear what you guys have to say. I love hearing your thoughts on certain subjects when it comes to the Yankees. And I hope it continues each and every week as it always does. It's a lot of fun. So I thank you all. But before we move on to this week's news and get into the real fun material of the podcast, let's go to Instagram really quick and see what happened over there. Same question applies, of course, for the poll. Where should Miguel and Duhart play this season? Bit of different results for this one. Very interesting. And again, I sort of had to modify the choices because on Instagram, it only gives you two voting choices as opposed to Twitter, where for this week's poll, I used four different position choices. So for Instagram, I had to modify it a little bit to two choices. So the first choice is at first slash third base. And then the second choice was left field slash DH. And the choice of first slash third base was victorious 63% against 37% who voted for left field and DH. So a lot of people on Instagram think otherwise than some of those on Twitter saying that Andujar should be playing first or third in 2020. So very interesting. The two social medias going at each other results wise for a change. I like that. So let's get to the couple of replies that I got. First up is my mom, Julia Gina Scudero, says, Left field or DH? If he isn't great at fielding, this is the better choice, has a better bat. The same as a lot of other people are saying. And lastly, we have MountainGal456. Many of you know her as Tina on Twitter, and on Twitter her handle is also MountainGal456. I just want to give her a special shout-out because she is one of the best listeners on the planet. Thank you, as always, for the support, Tina. And her reply on Instagram's behalf says, Splitting time at DH mostly with Stanton and wherever else he's needed. 
And yeah, that seems to be the main thing, just wherever he's needed. And that's what Boone more or less said. A lot of it depends on health and rest days and just anything else or just seeing how good or bad he is at other positions if you give him tries at them in spring training. So that is all for Instagram. Thank you, everybody, for interacting with the poll. It was a good question this week. Got some solid interaction. Great to hear from all of you as always. And let's move on to the fun parts of this podcast. A lot is on the table. Just a couple of things for news, but within these couple of things, there's a lot of material to get through. We got the new playoff format proposal. And if it is to go through, it's supposed to take place starting in 2022. We got the hollow apologies from the Astros, Jim Crane and the players and everyone alike. And we also got Yankees reporting to Tampa. And there's just a lot to get through with these uh, three or four sort of stories. And then we also got a signing that happened with the Yankees in the last couple of days. They acquired another pitcher from the National League. We'll get to it in a bit. But let's first start off with Manfred's new postseason proposal from Monday. This came out a day after last week's episode, episode 33. Now... What this would contain, more or less, is instead of the usual five teams going to the playoffs from each league, having the 10, you get the division winners, the two wild card teams, and that's that. And then, of course, the two wild card teams face off in the one game death match in the wild card game, and they go into the division series against someone else who won one of the divisions, depending on record, of course, within that league. So it's 10 teams in total and five on each side. This would change. It would now be seven teams from each side, so nearly half the league, 14 teams would be going in out of the 30 in baseball, and have the teams with the best record pick their opponents. (laughs) What is happening? What is going on? I'm so tired of these proposed changes. I really am. Now we're changing the playoff format, which just a few years ago got a change with the addition of the second wild card. I mean, when is it enough? That's all I'm asking. When is it enough? And I know why we're doing this. If you're Rob Manfred, you're trying to appeal to fans who can't seem to get into baseball. I know what they're trying to do because it's all about the profit, trying to get other people. It's all about the money. I get it. I get it. But at the same time, how much is going to change? And and I'm going to give more of my opinions on this after I play this. But I want to play a clip for you. And this is one of the few clips that I'm playing on this episode. And I really felt the need to play it in this episode because it is that good. Trevor Bauer released a clip with Momentum. Now, you could follow Momentum on social media. This is where it got released. It was released on their YouTube, on their Twitter, and everything. And all across their social medias of Trevor Bauer giving his takes about this new proposed playoff format that would take place in 2022 if it is to come to fruition. Now, I know a lot of people don't like Trevor Bauer. I don't exactly agree with all of his takes, but this, I mean, this is just truth for about three minutes straight, four minutes straight. Now, this video of Bauer talking about the new playoff format is longer than this three or so minutes, but I cut it up a little bit to really just give the parts that I felt are more important to listen to and the parts that I really wanted to drive home because basically everything he says in this clip, I agree with. It's just spitting truths. This is part of the takes that I do agree with him on. And I think it's really important that he spoke out against it because he is a Major League Baseball player. His opinion has levity to it and it has importance. And he's a part of the league, so he's going to be directly affected by it. So I'm going to play the clip for you. Here's Trevor Bauer talking about his opinion about the new proposed playoff format by Rob Manfred in Major League Baseball. And once again, this clip of Trevor Bauer is brought to you by Momentum. Take a listen. I'm really, really upset about this new ridiculous playoff policy that Rob Manfred has 
suggested or proposed or leaked. I don't even know how it got on the internet. I don't know why it would even get on the internet. It's that ridiculous. Like just reading through it without even thinking about it for a second, they're just wrong. Like who put this out without thinking of the fact that the best team in the league is going to get a six-day layoff, a seven-day layoff, while we sort out this whole three games here and this wild card and we're going to pick our opponent and we're going to do this whole reality TV stuff. Meanwhile, the best team in baseball is sitting at home waiting for all this crap to transpire. God forbid someone's ace pitches four days before the end of the regular season and then has 10 days in between starts. And this isn't football where you can heal up and that helps. Like being on a routine is so important in baseball. We play for six months and now you're going to say at the most critical time of the year, that we're going to get 10 days off maybe or the six days in between games and who knows how the pitching rotation lines up and all this different stuff and that's supposed to be a benefit? That's supposed to be the best team in baseball gets this benefit? These are just some things that come off the top of my head. The first time I read through the proposal, I haven't even had time to think about this. I just read it like an hour ago and I, I just am so beside myself with Rob Manfred and his ridiculous rule changes that he keeps proposing. We're going to move the mound back two feet. We're going to have a three batter minimum. We're going to, oh, get the get the, the games under three hours because that's what fans want. Fans don't care if the game's two hours and 57 minutes or three hours. The reason that you wanted to do that in the first place is because all the people that own media companies that own baseball teams are the ones that voted you in as commissioner in the first place. So you're protecting them. So in that case, you should probably know something about media. You should probably understand what people are connecting with. Since those are the people that voted you in as commissioner, you should probably understand something about media. Now, again, really quick, I don't care if you like this guy or not, and I know there are plenty of people out there who don't like Trevor, but it's hard to deny that this is just spitting out truths throughout this whole thing. I, I can't tell you how much I agree with everything. And he's right. There should be a better understanding about media, and Bauer, along with others like John Boy, for instance, I agree with them when they say poor management of media and marketing is a big reason there's a disconnect with young fans. I agree with them. Especially the part with all the TV deals and the blackouts that Bauer also mentions. The amount of times I've complained about that personally is crazy. I think I've even said something in the past about it on this show. When I was on vacation even this past summer, I couldn't even watch a Yankee game because it was on ESPN. And since it was on ESPN, there was a blackout everywhere. And if you didn't have access to ESPN, which I didn't at the time, then you couldn't watch it anywhere. It was over the summer. All right, anyway, I'll play the rest of the Trevor Bauer clip for you. Here you go. God, I just had to get this off my chest. And I want to focus on some solutions, some things we can do in media. Like, Rob, if you understood media, maybe as the commissioner of baseball, you could solve some of these things. Like how in one of your biggest markets, half the fans can't even watch the damn game because of TV deals. Half the people in local markets have blackouts. They buy the MLB package to watch their favorite team, and they can't even watch their favorite team half the time. I know that's not all on Rob, but as the commissioner, figure it out, man. Like, how are we supposed to spread the game? How are we supposed to get people interested, young people the missing generation of baseball fans, how are we supposed to get them interested in the game when they can't even see the damn game? And on top of that, they can't even go to Twitter where all the young people hang out. You can't even go to social media and see anything about the game. Steph Curry throws a bounce pass in an NBA game and it, it's trending with 1.5 million views five minutes later and Mike Trout goes and launches himself and robs a homer or something and you can't find the highlight anywhere online. 
You got BAM, Baseball Advanced Media, that was designed to just centralize all MLB content and force people to pay to have access to it. Great, you made a lot of money up front. But you centralize all this content, you make people pay for it, and you know what you get? You get a missing generation of fans. You make some money up front, great, and you miss a generation of fans, and the, the game is losing popularity, and especially amongst young people. You want to market the game? Don't change it. Don't make the mound 62 feet. Don't make playoffs where you have to pick your opponent and freaking whatever. Don't change the game. Market the players. You have more players in baseball than any other league with much more diverse backgrounds worldwide, more so than any of the other major American sports. And it's the least marketable. It's because you make stupid decisions about how you market the players. You don't open it up. Let content go. Get it out there. Quit with this stupid cleat policy, the stupid BAM policy, blackouts all over the place. Like, And that's just dealing with content that we already have available. Yeah. I, I mean, what else needs to be said? Lots of the issues with baseball are things said here, and things I've said in prior episodes of this show. You gotta be really careful when it comes to changing the game as much as Manfred wants to. You just really gotta cool it. If you want to call me, Bauer, and many others who agree with these takes, these purists or traditionalists, then fine, go ahead, I don't care. This is how I feel. I just hope this stays as a proposal. And at the very, very least, I'll hear the 14 teams thing, which I still don't want because I don't want Major League Baseball becoming the NBA, where a team who finishes with barely a 500 record, if that, has a chance of getting in. I mean, like, is it deserved at that point? Is it worth even playing a 162-game season at that point? I wasn't even really a fan of adding a second wild card. I was on the fence about that and was like, eh. And that was just a few years ago that change came. I know the defense of the 14 teams is that smaller markets have more hope and lots of their fans are just desperate to get to the postseason. And because I'm a Yankee fan, people don't care to hear my opinion on this matter, which if you don't care about my opinion, then why are you even listening to this show to begin with? But story for another day, I guess. But it devalues aspects of the game, such as the long season, as I said. And it's just a matter of does a team who's barely at 500 deserve a playoff spot? Do they? Are they going to spend the money necessary to put a good team together? Or are they just going to be like, eh, if we finish with a 500 record, we got a shot at getting in. I don't know. I just don't think it's good. I'm aware big market teams have more of an advantage, but that's why the luxury tax was put forth. And they do try to stay under that. And of course, there's a big penalty if they don't stay under it. And there are so many other things going on right now that require MLB and Manfred's attention. But they're busy formulating new playoff formats. Priorities, guys. Priorities. The one thing I simply won't listen to, though, is the picking the opponents thing. What I mean, what is this? Doing it like reality TV and like Bauer said, having a layoff and sorting out who's playing who and who's choosing who. I mean, j- just stop it. Just stop. It's getting crazy. That's the one part I won't listen to. I, I just won't. Picking opponents? At one point, do you say enough? When is enough enough? I mean, if people are legitimately proposing this sort of a thing where it's sort of like reality TV, like really, we're going to try to turn baseball into reality TV. That's how we're going to try to get or connect to a younger audience now. Younger audiences want to see the finest parts about baseball, the fun parts, the engaging parts, the epic parts. That's how you get someone to say, oh, wow, look at that. Maybe I should give a game a chance and see what happens. That's how you try to hook people, show them the best parts of your product. And that goes back to the media management the marketing, what guys like Bauer and John Boy are talking about. You need to do a better job with marketing. And that's exactly what Trevor Bauer was talking about. 
He said you could find highlights from just about any other sport all over the place within five minutes and it's trending. But then you can't really find much of anything with baseball because of the deals that Manfred and the league have made. These TV deals and the blackouts and not having access to clips if you're not paying for a certain baseball service. You've got to do better with promoting the game, not changing the game. There's a difference. If people don't like baseball for baseball, they're likely not going to like it, period. I don't see how teams choosing their opponents is going to help people get into baseball. I just can't see that. If you can, and you're somehow enlightened with Rob Manfred's sort of way of thinking, and you somehow think that this is going to get people interested in baseball, please let me know about it. Message me on Twitter. Go at Mike Scudero and DM me on how this will help the game because I'm really just having trouble understanding how that's going to help anything. I don't understand it at all. And again, adding the extra teams, I get there's more hope for smaller markets, but what I was saying before, are teams even going to try as hard to get in if they could just barely skate through a 500 record and make it into the playoffs? And then the upper teams would get to choose their opponents. They have to wait around and everything that Bauer was saying pretty much. They have to wait around while it's all sorted out and organized. Just the chaos. It's just, is it worth it? Is it worth it? I don't think it is. And again, when this is all going on in the midst of basically a crisis with all the scandal stuff, I mean, we haven't even gotten the results of the Red Sox investigation yet. Like, where's that? Aren't you guys in the middle of an investigation And aren't you guys in the middle of trying to just sort of get rid of this Astros craziness? And then you're just sitting around just creating new playoff formats? Like, why is that a priority right now? I know the priority is to try to get more profit, more money, which is all anyone cares about in this world, which I I understand that. I'm not that dumb. But at the same time, you have other things. Priorities. Priorities. Having someone pick their opponent, who cares? It's not going to help anything. Stop changing the game. Like Trevor Bauer said, you want to insult me by calling me a traditionalist or a purist or whatever you want to call me? I'm saying it right now. Like Trevor Bauer and countless others are saying around the league, stop changing the game. Promote the game. Get it out there to the younger audience. Get them interested with the finest parts of the game. Don't change it. Because then you still have us diehards in the background, which I know they don't really look to us and what we enjoy or not because they already have us watching it and we're already paying and this and that, so they don't care about us. I know. But you have us that already love the game for the way it is. And I'm telling you, there are plenty of exciting aspects about baseball that if you just promoted it the right way and marketed it the right way, I'm not saying it would solve all of its problems with the disconnect with the young audience, but I can't imagine it would hurt things. Marketing things properly always helps things at least a little bit. So why don't you try a little bit of that? Try to learn a thing or two about media, as Bauer said, and we'll see what happens. But for now, let's move on to the next topic at hand because we also have a lot to get into with this. I mean, I've spoken about this proposal thing on social media plenty throughout the week, so you've probably gotten my takes more or less if you follow me on social media. But as for what's next on the table, we definitely have to get to this because there's a lot to talk about. Now, throughout this last week, there was really the last stage of this Astros stuff, which I was hoping was the last stage until the Astros came out and sort of made fools of themselves. And now the entire league, fans and players included, are possibly even more angry than they were prior to the Astros making their apology, quotes around apology. And it was just a lot of empty hollow statements. And there was something right off the bat that many, many people took issue with, including myself. 
And while I hope that after this, I could officially put this issue to bed on this show because I am so exhausted about talking about this on this Yankees podcast, but it kind of has to be addressed because this situation has directly impacted the Yankees and many other teams and players and fans in the past. So I kind of have to talk about this. It's hard to dodge. I listened to this thing when I was at work and I was listening to Jim Crane talk because he started things off the beginning of the apology press conference. And right away, towards the beginning, he said something so outrageous. And right when he said this, I could almost foresee how the rest of the morning was going to go. I could almost foresee that it was just going to bring nothing but anger. And it did just that most of the morning. But this statement started things out in a terrible way for the Astros. And right away, it just put a bad taste in everybody's mouth, and rightfully so, because it was a disastrous way to start. And what he said is just blatantly not true, and it's outrageous and ignorant and just plain false. He went out there, and I'll play the clip in a second. I want you to hear it for yourself. He went out there and claimed that the cheating that went on in 2017 did not impact the game They won the World Series, they had a good team, and that's that. I want you to hear it for yourself. Take a listen. This clip is in credit to CBS Sports. Got it from them on YouTube. So take a listen to what Jim Crane said really quick. Our opinion is, um, you know, that this didn't impact the game. Um, We had a good team. Um, We won the World Series, and we'll leave it at that. Are you out of your freaking mind? Some people ask, you know, what do you think about those Astros, huh? They're they're pretty bad. Pretty bad. I don't think that nearly scratches the surface. These people don't even fully grasp what it is that they did to this game. If they're going out there, their owner goes out there. Their freaking owner goes out there and says, you know, this didn't really impact the game. We had a good team. We won the World Series and that's that. Are you ignorant or just stupid or both? I mean, how could you go out there and make a statement saying that what you did, what you and your team did, did not impact the game? Your guys knew what pitches were coming. How does that not affect the game or not give a crazy advantage to your team? How could you say that with a straight face on if you're not wearing the clown mask that you probably should have been wearing throughout this press conference? How do you do that? It's beyond my realm of understanding. I don't know how it's even possible. It's remarkable. I almost give you credit for sitting up there with a straight face and saying that it didn't impact the game. Try telling guys in the Dodgers that. Try telling guys in the Yankees that. Try telling guys that were versing you in any given day of the 2017 season when you were using this system. Try saying that to them and hear what they have to say. In fact, you heard what a lot of them had to say. And a lot of them were just going off of emotion, true emotions, because they were all speaking truths. And you guys didn't like it very much, like anybody cares what you have to say. You guys meaning the Astros. Like anybody cares about your opinions after what you guys did. But plenty of players and people in other organizations have spoken about what they heard from Jim Crane and the remainder of the Astros, and they gave their thoughts, and none of them were pro-Astro, I'll tell you that. Of course, you know, you wouldn't really ask them because, as Josh Reddick said and as Jim Crane said himself, they don't really think it necessary to reach out to anybody or apologize or anything like that. They don't think it's necessary. So, you know, who cares, right? It's it's laughable. It's all laughable. And it's really downright aggravating because it just tells you they don't care. They're apologizing, pre-written apologies and hollow apologies because they got caught. They don't seem to care at all because they don't think it impacted anything. And the apologies, the, the vast majority of them felt empty. 
So who cares, right? Now, this is what I really want to get into. The Jim Crane stuff is gross, and I really just had to rip him apart for a second because that was just horrid, saying it didn't impact the game. I don't know how you even defend that as an Astros fan. How do you defend that? <laughs> I, I don't know. It's gross, but this is really what I want to get into, the Carlos Correa stuff, and I'll tell you why. Because Carlos Correa, believe it or not, throughout that whole entire morning of empty and hollow apologies, Carlos Correa had an apology that I actually took legitimately for a little bit until this clip you're about to hear surfaced, an interview with Ken Rosenthal. But at first, I felt that Carlos Correa was basically like the only Astros player who expressed true sincerity and remorse for what happened in 2017, saying that everything that happened that you was wrong, we feel true remorse, and we feel very bad about it, and we're sorry, we apologize. I felt true remorse off of him until he kept on talking too much, like a lot of these Astros players have a dire habit of doing, and... Then it resulted in this and a lot of people immediately turning on Carlos Correa again and basically forgetting that his apology even felt slightly sincere because he kept talking. Like the Astros have had so much trouble not doing these last few years. They can't seem to get the microphone away from them. So I want you to listen to what Carlos Correa said in response to what Cody Bellinger said. Now, Cody Bellinger spoke about what he thought about what happened in 2017, as many other players did. And they also spoke about what they thought about, as I said earlier, about the morning when the Astros, quote-unquote, apologized to the baseball world for what they did in 2017. And basically, the consensus of it was, is that none of the players were buying it. Players like Chris Bryant, Cody Bellinger, Trevor Bauer, guys that mainly spoke out about this so far. And many other guys will probably just give their opinions on it as time goes along. We know that the vast majority of the league, basically the entire league, do not look at the Astros the same anymore. And I've lost a vast amount of respect for them, if not all. But this clip is primarily Correa responding to the guys like Cody Bellinger, who basically say it's all just disgusting. That morning was, was bad. It wasn't successful. And they cheated. And Bellinger said they stole the World Series from them, the Dodgers, Altuve. They stole an MVP from Judge, and Correa didn't really like what he had to say, as if you can blame Cody Bellinger for feeling this way about people that hurt the integrity of the game and people that cheated others out of certain achievements like a championship or an award or a playoff appearance. Who knows? Maybe they did it in a game where somebody's season was on the line or if it happened at a turning point of the year for a team, perhaps. It could have happened at any time. It altered a lot of people's lives. We know that. But how could you blame Bellinger? You really can't. But Carlos Correa took issue with it, and he felt the need to go out in front of the camera, and Ken Rosenthal interviewed him. It's an aggravating interview, but also funny when Ken Rosenthal takes him to school in a couple of things. So I'm going to play the Correa interview. I'll probably jump in now and again whenever I feel the need to, because there's a lot of points throughout this clip where I just can't afford to let it keep rolling without me just having something to say, jumping in real quick. So I'll play you the Correa clip. This is in credit to MLB Network. This interview was done on MLB Network with Ken Rosenthal and Carlos Correa. So here's the clip right now. Ken and Correa, take it away. Carlos, Cody Bellinger said some strong things yesterday. He said the Astros stole the 2017 World Series from the Dodgers. He said Altuve stole the MVP from Judge. He said you guys cheated for three years. What is your reaction? Well, usually I don't have problems when... Uh when people talk about 2017 and about what happened uh, that year, because honestly, we're wrong. Everything that happened that year was absolutely wrong. And, uh, you know, we obviously show remorse for that because, you know, we feel bad about everything that happened. We really feel bad about everything that happened in 2017. But the problem I had is I have is when players go out there and they, they don't know the facts. They're not informed on the situation. And they just go out there in front of cameras and just talk. And uh, with me, that's, that doesn't seem right. 
doesn't sit right at all. Just goes out in front of cameras and talks. Hmm. Sounds kind of like you guys. And maybe Bellinger's just not a complete liar like you, because as you're about to hear from Ken Rosenthal, the commissioner's report, which you guys have been so obsessed with referencing, including that in 2018, you cheating clowns used the video room to decode signs. But I get ahead of myself. You're about to hear all of this anyway in the rest of the clip when Ken takes his arrogance down like a million notches. Imagine that. They're still arrogant after all of this. All right, I'll keep quiet. Let's keep going. So when he talks about... Um that we cheated for three years. I mean, he, is a, he either doesn't know how to read, he's really bad at reading comprehension, or he's just not informed at all. But the commission's report clearly says that all those activities were conducted in 2017. 2018, nothing happened. 2019, nothing happened. It was just talented players playing the, the, the game of baseball with passion and winning ball games. 2018, it did say you guys did things. Yeah, it, but it, it said about the it's about the code breaker, but not about the trash can or any of that. You know what I mean? So, you know, that stuff is it came from the top on the on the code breaker, but you know, we, we don't we don't know about that stuff down there. So, when 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 I look at those comments, like um, they're not true. 2018, we played clean. 2019, we got to a World Series playing clean baseball all around. Carlos, 2018, you guys were using the replay room. I know Codebreaker emanated from the front office, but the players were using it. It report says the players were doing this. That we're using what? The replay room to decode signs and then use them out on the field. No, I, I and, and what I know as a player is that when in 2018, we from second base will try to get the signs, which is not illegal. It's what players do. But in 2018, we didn't we didn't use the trash can. We didn't use the center field camera. We didn't use any of that. He's not saying you guys used the trash can or the center field camera. And he's not saying you tried to get the signs at second base legally. Maybe it's you who has trouble with comprehension, Carlos. And well, if what you say is all you know about what was going on in 2018, when your beloved commissioner's report says otherwise, maybe your word isn't quite believable either. Or perhaps you weren't paying attention to what was going on in your own video room and environment. Either way, this is why people don't trust you or anyone in this organization, because your words mean nothing. And you have the audacity to take issue with what Cody Bellinger said about you guys supposedly cheating the last three years? Well, how could you blame him? Because your word means nothing clearly since you're even lying in this clip or proving you're oblivious. So who should believe you guys when you guys say buzzers weren't used when in this clip you preach how you guys played clean in 2018 when there's proof about you guys using the video room? And the buzzers thing, forget about it. People still talking about the Altuve jersey situation? Can't say I blame them. Even Gary Sanchez said if he had a walk-off home run sending the Yanks to the World Series, they can rip off his pants and anything they want. But people are still talking about the Altuve thing. First it was he's shy, then it's his wife didn't want to take his shirt off, and now there's a supposed tattoo. And they expect anyone to believe them at their word? Give me a break. Just give me a break. I'll play the rest of this clip. Wait until you hear this crap about people who supposedly didn't use this trash can system. So funny. Take a listen. The code breaker thingy, that, that comes from on top. Players, like, honestly, Ken, I'm telling you the truth. Like, I know about the code breaker thingy. Like, I'm trying to get to second base, trying to look at the signs and do what I have to do to help my team, which is not illegal. It's been, do it's been done for, for years in baseball. You know what I mean? Okay, but they still said that you, the commissioner's report still said you used the replay room. Well, I, I don't know about that. Okay. So, um... When I look at his comments, I think he's talking about the trash can and about that. And when fans hear those comments, um, 
they feel like we use the trash can and we use center field camera and all the cheating that all the scandal uh, has been about. So I want to make it clear, 2018, we didn't use the trash can. We didn't use any of that. Um, 2019, we didn't use the trash can. We didn't use none of that. When I move forward, and he, he talks about Altuve, and he says, Jose Altuve cheated Judge out of the MVP. I mean, Cody, like, you don't know the facts. We're all in there, and nobody wants to talk about this, but I'm going to talk about this. Jose Altuve was the one guy that didn't use the trash can. A few times that the trash can was banged was without his concern, consent, and he would go inside the clubhouse, inside the dugout to whoever was banging the trash can, and he would get pissed. He would get mad. He would say, I don't want this. I can hit like this. Don't you do that to me. He played the game clean. The data of the banks that's on, the, on Twitter or whatever, it shows it. Um, Altuve played clean the whole year. When you look at Altuve's numbers on the road, he hit 400 on the road. He didn't see nobody of the MVP. He earned that MVP. He's a six-time All-Star, three-time batting champion, MVP, five-time Silver Slugger. He's been doing this for a long time, Ken, for a long time. So for me to go out there and, and for him to go out there and defame um, Jose Altuve's name like that, like, it doesn't sit right with me because the man plays the game clean. And that's easy to find out, Ken. Mike Fires broke the story. You can go out and ask Mike Fires, did Jose Altuve use the trash can? Did Jose Altuve cheat to win the MVP? And Mike Fires, you know, tell you straight up, he didn't use it. He was the one player that didn't use it. Josh Reddick, Tony Kemp, those guys, they didn't want the trash can at all, at all. So when he sits there and talks about Altuve, it's not facts. It's not facts. So he said there Altuve was the only one who didn't use it. Three seconds later, he throws in Reddick and Tony Kemp and that they didn't do it. So was it just Altuve that didn't use it or them too as well? As a matter of fact, who cares? Because at this point, no one can take you for your word as it is, as I said earlier. And no one feels like hearing who supposedly did or didn't use it at the end of the day because the team cheated. You guys cheated. Period. You should have shut your mouth after your apology, Carlos, because you were doing good at the time. Because you were the only one in the entire organization who I felt the slightest sincerity from in that beyond infuriating morning of empty apologies. And now here you are, shooting your mouth off again because none of you can contain the arrogance. Saying Cody Bellinger doesn't have good comprehension skills. Listen back to this interview again with Ken, guys, and you tell me who's the one without good comprehension. And by the way, one last small thing having to do with the MVP race of 2017. Aaron Judge had better numbers than Altuve in most offensive categories when you look at their final numbers. Not all numbers, but most. Just saying. And another thing to Carlos and the rest of the Astros before I hopefully put this to bed forever. I would just keep my head down and my mouth shut from now on, guys. Just as a piece of advice, because you have no right to still be talking in a cocky and arrogant manner towards people simply aggravated towards you guys for cheating and hurting the game. And you're just coming off as morons at this point, quite frankly. At the end of the video, you tell Cody and all others you feel, quote-unquote, don't have the facts to shut the F up. Perhaps taking your own advice would help in this instance. Just be happy you weren't punished as players, which basically everyone disagrees with as it is. So why don't you just focus on that, that you had immunity. Be glad that you got granted your immunity and just be quiet. You talk about others getting in front of cameras and just talking. Talk about the pot calling the kettle black. Just be quiet, guys. 
And speaking of the immunity, these are the guys Manfred is protecting more and more. Even now, it's said he's going to focus on making punishments more severe for guys who throw at other players, basically because he expects lots of retaliation against the Astros, mainly because of his own failure to punish the players, mind you. But he's now going to discipline the Astros' opponents, who, as you can probably imagine, are probably going to be going after them, probably harder than the way he disciplined the Astros' players, which, of course, he didn't discipline them at all. So those who cheated and got a ring out of it and continued cheating into the next season get immunity and no punishment. Yet the players who want to retaliate for what happened because of your failure to properly punish those players will be severely punished. Keep up with the brilliant decisions, Rob. You're doing a stand-up job at ruining this game. You're on a real hot streak, pal. Keep it up. What else can I say? Maybe you and the Astros players should go get a cup of coffee, have a few laughs, while countless fans and players all around the country are growing to not be able to even stomach the sight of any of you. God... But you know what? I even said this on Twitter. This is just what I say now, now that I got that out. Now that the final stage is passed of the hollow apologies, go out there this season and settle it on the field. Go out there and defeat them. As The Rock would say in the WWE back in the day, layeth the smacketh down on their candy asses already. Do whatever you have to do. Just take care of them on the field. Beat them. Defeat them. What's done is done now. Although it's infuriating, and even more infuriating, after the morning of apologies and what Rob Manfred's even going to say later on today at 4.30, which you can see my reaction to that on social media later probably, because I'll be done recording by then. But it always will be infuriating too, but what's done is done. Settle it on the field. Please, please let this be the last time I talk about this garbage, pun intended. I, I, I just need to put it to bed. But again, I know when the commissioner talks to the media later, it's just going to get everyone in a tizzy. But I can't wait to just stop talking about this on the show mainly. This will never go away as far as history because some of the biggest scandals like the Black Sox scandal, which is over 100 years old, is still talked about. And so many others, Pete Rose stuff from decades ago, the list goes on. This won't go away. But I can't wait to put it to bed on this show. I'm so done with this. And saying that I'm so done with this, let's move on to a brighter discussion because there's a lot more exciting stuff going on as far as our New York Yankees, guys. Let's talk about the Yankees a little bit before we wrap up here on episode 34. I'll give you the little piece of news first regarding the signing that they made a couple of days ago, and that was that the Yankees and Chad Bettis agreed to a minor league deal, with Bettis getting an invite to spring training. And Bettis is turning 31 in April. He spent all seven seasons of his career so far with the Rockies. He hasn't had a great career. He's had a career ERA of 5.12, so we'll see what role he has with the Yanks in 2020. I assume depending on what he does in spring training, he'll probably get some outings there. But most importantly, guys, the pitchers and catchers are at George M. Steinbrenner Field. There have been videos all week long of Garrett Cole doing bullpen sessions. This morning, he threw to some batters, one of them being Mike Ford. Looks like he had a tough time against him. Fortunately, he won't be versing him when it matters. That's, that's what really counts. But the videos of them showing up to Steinbrenner Field too, Boone coming in like, hey, let's go, and Severino coming in on a scooter, Adam Adovino saying, boy, you're all here early, and Cole walking in like the Terminator. It just, it looks like they're all set to go, and the hype is just taking over. And it also looks like they're in full-on doofus mode as well, which when I look at these videos, I just sit there and I'm like, man, I love this team. (laughs) 
There's a video that came out earlier this morning, and I'm going to play a snippet of this for you now. You might have seen it on social media already, but you're going to get to hear it on this podcast as well, because it's just downright amazing. And the clip is of Britton and Canely just acting like a couple of goofballs, and it's just great content. It makes you laugh, it's lighthearted, it's fun, and you even get a slight Tanaka cameo at the start. It's just, it's vintage joking around and ball busting. This is the entertainment I'm looking for in the regular. So, here's a quick clip on this Clips Galore episode. <laughs> this one is good, and this clip is brought to you by the New York Yankee social media. And I got this from their Twitter, and it's just hysterical. Here you go. Masla, your hair didn't move the whole time. Whole time? Whole time, it just stayed right here. While you guys are videotaping over here, I wanted you guys to get a, a picture of Heller's pants right now, okay? It looks like my Little League pants I used to wear. Then nobody knows what to do. Oh my god, oh my god! Perfect, I hope you guys got that. Tommy's out talking to himself out here. Tommy, who are you talking to? I can't get past the part when Kainley's like, everyone's like, oh my god. <laughs> it's great. It's This is the stuff I'm looking for. Players are just ready to go. They're fooling around while they're training. It's great team chemistry. It's great content for us fans when it makes its way to social media. Oh my god. That part with Kainley is going to become such a huge gif slash memes. It's going to be so crazy. It's funny. But Britain and Kainley being the life of the party there. Tommy, who are you talking to? Myself. <laughs> I can't get enough of it. I really can't. Call me easily entertained, but I just love seeing that stuff. Even if it's from another team doing the same sort of stuff, just warming up in spring training and having the time of their lives and just getting ready for the season. So it's just a part of how excited I am to have the Yankees in spring training and getting ready, watching all the videos all week long. And then before we know it, we'll blink. And by the time the next episode of Yapping Yankees comes around next weekend, episode 35, spring training will officially be here. The games will be underway and we'll have some baseball to watch again and we'll be in our heaven for those of us who have baseball as their favorite sport, as I do. And as far as the last thing I just want to say before we wrap up here, I just can't wait to see, as I've been saying for the last few weeks, I just can't wait to see all the competition that goes on in the field too during spring training because there's a lot that's yet to be determined. I know we've had a little bit of insight based on what certain staff members have said or Aaron Boone have said about the fate of certain players going into 2020 possibly, but I feel that spring training will be a determining factor for what the roles are for certain players on this team. You got the competition for the fifth rotation spot, even though many people like to think that Montgomery is probably the favorite. I mean, who knows? Michael King, Davey Garcia, Schmidt. These guys could make names for themselves come spring training if they prove themselves to be really, really good and they go out there and have great outings. They could have a bigger role with this team. You have Anduhar's role, which we talked about earlier. There are many other different possibilities, and the most likely one to have is, as what Boone said, and I agree with him, probably just moving around as needed at first. And again, part of it might depend on what he does in spring training as well, which makes it more fun. It makes spring training even more fun to watch than it already is. And of course, you have the outfield. Because you have Hicks out, but you also have Stanton, you have Garda, you have Talkman, who's going to play when and where. It's all exciting stuff, and a lot of this may be determined by spring training. So I did want to dedicate a little bit of time to our New York doofuses over there down there in Tampa. I just love the Yankees so much. After that Canely and Britton video, this, again, I just sit there saying, man, I love this team. And I can't wait for them to get going. I can't wait for this year. I'm still confident as ever, of course, that they will get number 28, guys. I hope you're just as confident as I am. Otherwise, what are you doing here rooting for this team? But that is all for this episode of Yapping Yankees. I'd like to thank you so much for listening. One last shout out to Team Left Jab, as always. They feature Team Left Jab Boxing Radio. 
Team Left Jab Uncensored, and of course, the Team Left Jab United Radio Network. Be sure to go follow Team Left Jab on all social media platforms and check out their great sports content across anywhere that you find podcasts, Apple, Spotify, iHeart, you name it. Be sure to check out Team Left Jab, guys. And while you are at it, be sure to go follow me on social media as well. Again, you're listening to this podcast and you're not following me on social media. What's the matter with you? Go find my Facebook fan page at Mike Scudero NY. Be sure to follow me on Twitter as well at Mike Scudero, which is where I'm most disgustingly active. Be sure to interact with me regularly on there. I love being on Twitter. It's a lot of fun. And be sure to follow me on Instagram as well at MikeScuds97. And lastly, I just want to tip my cap to each and every one of you who vote, reply, interact with the polls, and just support the podcast on the regular listening each and every week. I appreciate you all so much, more than words can say, truly. I really appreciate you all trying to grow this podcast even more. And again, that starts tonight when Yappin' Yankees makes its YouTube debut. If you're listening on either SoundCloud, iTunes, or Spotify right now, and you made it to the end of the podcast, be sure to check out the Yappin' Yankees YouTube channel, guys, and subscribe. And if you're already here listening on YouTube, if you haven't already, hit that subscribe button and turn on the notifications bell, too, so you can stay updated on the channel. But as for now, again, just tip my cap to all of you supporters of the podcast. I know there are plenty of you out there. Thank you so much for your support. I love each and every one of you. And once again, thank you 3000 for listening. I am Mike Scudero, and I'll talk to you next Sunday, February 23rd, when I come at you with episode 35 of Yapping Yankees. And that'll be our first spring training episode. Until then, have yourselves a great week, guys, and take care.